The following message is from First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco. For more information about our church, please visit us at firstpresbyterian.sf.org. Let's. Uh, we're going to turn now to uh, our study of worship. Uh, let's let's continue. We're going to hand out the, the the poem we're looking at today. The poem we're looking at today. And so uh, this, this message this week really should be put together with the message from last week. And the reason is, is last week's message was a bit on the dark side. All right, so it was about sin. And it was about the words for sin. And, 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 and David in his meditative, his meditative poem, remember, David, in his meditative poem, Psalm 51, uses three words for sin. He uses the word, uh, uses a word for uh, distorted personhood. He uses a word for rebellion. And he uses a word for failing to reach the mark, to failing to reach perfection. And so it was, it was an invitation to a lot, to part of worshiping confession. <laughs> confession. And then you'll notice Every week, without fail, we go and have an act of confession. But I want to marry that with with its counterpoint, which is just praise. (laughs) There is a place and there is a time, there is a moment, and it's starting of many moments, of eternal moments, where you and I are engaged in praise. (laughs) And it's what we were made for. You were made for joy. You were made for you were made for this joy. Oh, and I know you've stuffed so many joys into your soul. <laughs> some of them have been good, some of them have been evil. You you were so made for joy. Your joy instinct is so powerful it cannot be uh, taken away from you. You must find joy. You will express joy. You will taste joy. You will have pleasure. You will experience pleasure. You will chase pleasure. You don't need choice. But I happen to know you were made for this pleasure. <laughs> and for God's pleasure. And, and that's the way the Bible talks about it. That's the way the scriptures talk about it. And we're going to look today at a poem that explodes with joy. I mean, just, it's reckless. It, it jumps out the gate. It, it, it moves. And you may have been familiar with this. We'll take a look. At the very end of the Psalter, in the last 20 or 30 Psalms, some of them are very praised. You've noticed that a bunch are just praised. They're just praised. That's one of the ones we're looking at today. Because we're following uh, our Savior's instructions, encouragement that God is seeking worshipers who worship Him in spirit and truth. And if we can find those worshipers, if we can find that worship, we can join that. We can, we can be what God's looking for. We can be what I think we are. We are. Oh, yeah, we are what God is looking for. Let's, we're to, let's look to the poem. Now, I, I'm only going to do a few things. You know how much I love by talking about and explicating a poem. But this poem is so blessedly simple, isn't it? Take a look at it. I'm going to draw some attention to the structure very, very briefly. You'll notice I divide it into two parts. And the reason that works is that there's two forms of address in the poem. And uh, let, me, let me give you some of the structure here. You'll see that the first, the first line three and the last line 33, they're the same, right? Praise the I am. It's a command. Hallelujah. You know, praise the I am. Praise the Lord. And then bracketed as if those were parentheses. 
they bracket, and this is Hebrew poetry, they bracket the truth that the, that the poet wants you to know. And the poet is going to express the truth in two ways. He's going he's to talk to the heavens. And then where's he going to talk to? He's going to talk from the earth. From the heavens, he says, praise the I am. And then he's going to go to the earth. And then first he identifies all the glorious people in the heavens, the angels, the sun, moon, and stars, and the earth, the wind, the animals. We did it this morning. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And, we, and in that poem, we talked about you know, the rushing, all the, the wind, and the, how everything gives him glory. That's the only thing. Maybe some other, another anchor you might notice. Look at line... 12 and line 26, they're the same. And those, those anchor points, those similarities from stanza to stanza, from every frame to refrain, are meant to give us some structure and know what this is about. So, we're going to jump in. But I have one more thing I want to share with you. One of the greatest masterpieces of, of Christian worship is... Oh, it's gorgeous. I, I'll tell you, it's so beautiful, children sing it. I, 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 seriously, I, the first song out of his son's mouth, he was singing, he starts, ah, and he starts doing doxology, you don't even know the words are. Because it is one of the great masterpieces of our entire history. It is one of those musical sets that we hear and we repeat and we know and we engage in, right? But I want you to hear something here. This poet talks to the stars and he talks to angels and he talks to men and he talks to kings and he commands them all. But every time we see the doxology, we do the same thing. Do you remember? What do we say? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Then what do we say? Praise him what? All you creatures here below. Then what do we do? What do we say? Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. And then we tell them what to praise. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That conductor kind of posture, that conductor of creation, the conductor of galaxies, that's us. Let's read. Now, you're going to be bold over here. You're going to be italics. Because remember, you're talking to each other. You're talking to creation. You're talking to angels. Believe it or not, you may not believe this because you just don't know the power of God. But you have spoken to angels. Yeah, you have. You command them. We're going to explore what that means in a second. This is, this is good. This is great stuff. All right, so we're going to stand for the word of God right now. All right, Peter, you're leading this side. Okay. Face, face them. Brandon, you're leading this side. You're, you're italics, right? You're going to face them. You face them. And I'm the regular print. Praise the I am. Praise the I am from the heavens. Praise him. Let them praise the aim of the I am. Why? For he had commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave the decree and it will not pass away. Praise the I am from the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountain and all 
them praise the name of the I Am. For in his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the I Am. Let's stand. That's sit. I'm sorry. Sit. 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 We're already standing. Sit. Um, I, I, one of the favorite movies of our generation, of this last generation at least, is The Lion King. Do, do, you, do you know the story of The Lion King? We, we, uh, uh, is this a pretty universal experience? We have seen this animated movie. My favorite part is the opening. That's my favorite part of it. And, and in that opening scene, it's a vista of the African savanna is put on display, and there's a massive rock, and, 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 and on top of the rock are the lions, the king of the jungle. And every animal, antelope, giraffe, elephant, uh, uh, tiger, they all, what do they all do? They all bow. And it is just majestic. It is, it's kind of chilling in a sense. And it, they all worship. And, I, and as I remember, even as a kid seeing that, uh, I guess I wasn't a kid when I saw that. As an adult seeing that, uh, uh, realizing that, uh, that uh, you know, I, I, I saw right away that that is a picture of how the Bible understands the universe. Uh, the, how the Bible understands giraffes. Yes, it does. It says that giraffes and dogs and insects and snakes and, and sun, moon, and stars do what? They bow down and worship God. Now, you say that's a poetic metaphor, and yes, it is. It is a poetic image. It's a personification. It's, it's called anthropomorphism. It's, it's giving the form of a man to a chair or to, or to, to the sun. I get all that. But I, I, even if I take apart the metaphor, I'm still left with this praise that exploits, this exuberance. And I, I, want, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to join him, me. Let's praise the Lord. So, so how can we, how do we get there? Let's, I, I, think this, I think this poem is meant to instruct you as well in everything that it's doing. So uh, here's our outline for today. Yes, I do have an outline. And, uh, and no, I don't intend to follow it, but, but it might help some of you. How do I, can somebody figure out how to make that stand still for me? And uh, thank you. But all right, so, so I have I identified three things that I think are in this poem that, 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 that are in the poem and that the poet is experiencing. And the first one, well, let's see what they are. They're, the God, he experienced God as transcendent above. Transcendent, big. I, it's funny, you know, I, it, you know we, we, I, I give you these words so that you can impress other people. And I, I'm sorry, I'm teaching you. But all it really means is God is really, really big. <laughs> And, and, I, and what else? How's he experience? God's totally unique. There's nobody like him. We sang it today. There's nobody like our God. There's nobody like him. There's not, and it was right there. I think it's in line 27. What does it say? Uh, his name alone is exalted. There's no, it's utter uniqueness. Utter uniqueness. Until you grasp it, you're not going to be released into worship. And finally, there's a presence of God. There's, and it ends. The poem kind of comes to this, in a sense, a, a meaningful crescendo of those who are near him. <laughs> he is the God who is what? He is God who is present. 
and the, the virtue, the fact, the claim, the announcement, the, 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 the idea of his immediate presence, not mediated, not, not removed, not, but immediate presence, is supposed to release us into praise. Release, you know what I'm getting that from, the release? It's, it's from an image that, that Dylan Thomas uses in Fern Hill, in this wonderful masterpiece of 20th century poetry. And he describes horses whinnying into the fields of praise. Like they're just released, and, and the whole poem is full of release. The lark's released. And this idea that creation needs to be released. And I think, it's, isn't that, doesn't it feel like a poem? Like there's something kind of exploding out of this? Something's being released. And that's what I want. I want to be released into praise. I want to be released into worship, into some freedom and experience of it. And this poem is a clue as to how. First, first and foremost, we must get God big enough. <laughs> how shall I do this? Well, the text wonderfully, wonderfully actually goes in with tremendous, it, it wants to explain to God the transcendence of God. It's not merely positing it. It actually, he actually goes, what is he? He describes God as creator. For by your will they were created. It's right there in line, in line 13. Then in line 14, he established them. He says he is not a creator. It is, he is transcendent and greater because he's creator. But what else is he? He is also sustainer. And then it says by decree, he, they won't pass away. He is, who decrees? Rulers do. Ruler, creator, sustainer. But that still hasn't said it. It still hasn't gotten to what this poem really wants to say to you. For God, this God, is so big, he is bigger than heaven and earth. Did you catch that? He says he is above. You see, this is what it says. He is above earth and heaven, line 28. He is transcendent. Now, one of the things I've been eager to tell you, and this will set you the course of possible worship and joy in your soul if you grasp this. God is not a part of the universe. He is not in the universe as a, as a member of the universe who lives here. No. He is greater than space and time. He is greater than heaven. He is the Lord. It's in his name, his very name, I am, the name that Jesus loves to use in John for himself. This name, I am, hints at a timelessness above time. It, 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 it suggests and, and gives to us all the eternity of God. And I'm hoping that if we can get our, our vision big enough, oh my gosh, who is this God and who is like him? And transcendence. Ah. There's this, there's this scene in the birth of Samson. It's a wonderful story. I don't know what Samson's parents were like, but they seem very, very humble in the story. They really seem humble. And when I say humble, I mean humble of mind and humble of everything. Like, they don't have any idea what's going on. God comes to Manoah's wife and says, you're going to have a son. He can never taste a drop of alcohol because I'm going to use him to save my people. She goes and tells her husband, and her husband says, okay, uh, uh, I want to talk to this guy. <laughs> he says, I want to talk to the guy who sent it to you. So he prays. And, and, and again, the angel comes, this angel who told it to the, Samson's mom comes again. And it's really an odd story because he prays and the angel comes again to his wife. <laughs> it's odd. 
probably hints at all sorts of weird family dynamics. Who knows, right? But God keeps honoring the wife and never even mentions her name, by the way. She's so honest. But the angel appears to her again in the field and she has to go get her husband and says, hey, the, the, the one who told me about our son, she had been barren most of her life. She'd never been able to have children. I'm finally going to have a kid, but the guy who told me he's here, he's out in the field. So Manoah goes to meet him. And Manoah, they still don't, they still don't get it. They're, they're kind of clueless. They get the attention. You get the, the impression they're kind of bumpkins. You get the impression they just don't really get it. And then Manoah says, you know what? Can we offer you a sacrifice? And he says, I'm not going to eat it, but you may offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And then he says, what's your name? So if we do have a son, we can give you honor. And this is where he cashes in, right here. He says, my name is wonderful. And what that means in the Hebrew is, my name can't be explained. All right, so right at this point, what I want to present to you, what I think is an opportunity for you, is a God who blows your mind. And that's the only God worth worshiping, right? If, I, if you have a God you can comprehend, he's not worthy of your worship. We are being brought before God, and this man experiences God. This poem, this poet experiences a God who, who, who is beyond all that, <laughs> who is transcendent, truly transcendent. Now, I'm guessing we, we need, and, and, and you've heard me do this before, I'll refresh your memory for those you've forgotten, that here's a rule for thinking about God. Well, I'll give you a rule for thinking about God that can guide you the rest of your life, and maybe guide you into worship. And here's your rule, and it's a rule that stands fast. Do you have a conception of God well in your mind, a conception of what he's like, what his personality is, what his greatness is like? Some conception, right? You got that conception in your mind right now? Do all of you have a conception in your mind? Kind of get in front of your, get, get in front of your consciousness. Try to imagine God his greatness, and just as you do it, let me tell you something, you're wrong. <laughs> because in the moment you conceived it, he is yet greater. Now think about that. This is fun. Try to imagine. You can, keep, you can do this the rest of your life. In fact, this is the business of eternity. <laughs> the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is filled with his glory. Ezekiel sees them. John sees them. They're saying the same thing, but are they? Or are they instead constantly correcting themselves because they haven't yet seen it and they haven't yet said it and they need to say it again because he's greater, still greater. Those four beings of magnificent fire, empowering glory shout nonstop, holy, holy, holy. And not because they were told to and not because they're slaves, but because there's nothing more glorious than discovering the transcendent and sublimity of God. Wow, there's something else going on here. Did you notice the, uh, did you notice the preposition from? That was, it was in that, it was in line um, five and line 17. Here's the second part of transcendence. For when we exalt God, we are exalted. Did you guess Do you know who you were? You know, we could accuse this man, but we don't know who wrote it, of a kind of narcissism, right? Couldn't we? Why is this not narcissism? Because this person talking says that they're the center of all this. Well, how else 
can you have a perspective and say, from the heavens and from the earth? You have to stand somewhere greater than the both, right? You have to, and so this person is somehow ennobled. Did you get that? You get ennobled himself. And you and I are ennobled in worship when we're released. Because we become something we're not yet. <laughs> we become more like him. We become something we're, we participate in his transcendence. And I, my brothers and sisters, I don't have the first word about what to say next after that. I really don't. Because I'm looking at you all, you don't look all that transcendent to me. And you can look at me, and I don't look like I've transcended much either. Ah, something glorious is happening. As God is exalted, the worshiper himself is put in the place of exalted knowledge and joy. You see, I, I think we have undersold and underthought and underrealized and underexpected what worship will do. What is happening? Praise him. That's why the command is so clear. Praise him. What's the second thing that will release our worship? Our God is unique. Is exalted. I, I thought about this. I, I know this is one of those moments. What is going to be one of those ideas that I could lose you right here? I could lose you right here. Maybe some of you go, uh, wait a second, Chris. I, uh, this, this gets me on tender hooks a little bit because it sounds like you're moving towards talking about Christ and God, talking about them being exclusive. And, uh, and yes, I am. I am going there. I'm not going there. God's going there. Uh, and until you understand his uniqueness, you really are not going to be released into praise. Uh, you, know, you know, I found, I discovered something very, very odd. And <laughs> look, I, very, very rarely am I completely blindsided by something in the Bible. Like, like someone writes, I no idea. So this song appears elsewhere in the Bible. Not in your version. Not in your version, not at all. No, it, it, it appears elsewhere in the Bible in an ancient version of the Bible called the Septuagint, because the Greeks wanted to read the Bible too, somebody translated it into Greek. It was before Christ came, hundreds of years before. And so they translate, it's called the Septuagint, and, and that Greek translation has been amazing because it helps us verify the Old Testament, it helps us see how consistent it is, it, it imports to us uh, all the, the, the uh, uh, how, how the veracity of the Old Text, because it's so consistent. Okay, on that side, in Daniel 3, do you know who sings this song? This, this poem? You know who sings this poem in Daniel 3? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They sing this in the furnace. Now, I don't know why. That's, isn't that weird? I did not know that at all. And I, I don't, no Hebrew Bible does that. And for some reason, in the Greek translation, that poem is right there in their mouths. And I think I know why. Because Nebuchadnezzar in his glory and his might and his power and his wealth had commanded every living creature to praise him. And he made a statue, a huge, enormous statue, and built a fire so people could make offerings to him. And he had exalted himself upon every king in the world because he, and he made a law that nobody could do anything except worship him first. Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo said no. And that fire, that fire in the base of that huge statue that was meant for offerings was now their destiny. And King Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. And he had them bound up and tied up. 
and the, and the soldiers who carried them to throw them into the furnace, the furnace was so hot, they died carrying the men up to it. And in the Septuagint it says, they sang this song. Nebuchadnezzar has got nothing on this, on this culture today. <laughs> Does it? You are forbidden to claim exclusivity for God. But isn't it funny? God presents himself in the Bible, and, and these men and women experience him as utterly unique. But this generation what, what does this generation want? It wants a generic God, not the unique God. It insists that you adopt its generic version of the Almighty, but I want nothing to do with that because I do not have a generic God. I have a God who told me his name. He is the I am. I have a God who, who, who participates and draws near to me. I have a God unlike any other. I have a God transcendent who blows my mind. I have a God who is utterly unique. And he must be unique, and he is unique, and uniquely calls us to worship and serve him only. And isn't it funny? This, this generation says what? You do you. Right? Oh, it's not for me. You do you, Will. You guys, you follow whatever it is you need to follow. You do you. But when it comes to the Almighty, this generation has the temerity to say, no, you don't do you. You do me. You don't dare say that you're unique as God. I am unique, and you serve me. That's what this generation says. By wanting to flatten out and make all roads lead to God, it in a sense denies him in his very person as transcendent and glorious and supreme. It, it rejects him as he is. It rejects the creator, sustainer God who reveals his name and says, you are not unique. You're just like me. It's a shame. It's such a shame. Because I suspect, and we, I don't even know how to plumb this, that once we understand his unique love for us, we'll understand how he uniquely loves each one of us. You see, there's a way and a flavor and a style and a work of God's love that is so very different from Christian to Christian. <laughs> I just think the things that make us wonderful things in his presence is our uniqueness. And he shares in that. We're like him that way. There's nobody like you. There's nobody like him. And you are made in his image. You see, if you sacrifice his uniqueness, you sacrifice yours. That's the way it is. Yeah, there's nobody like this God. You know what I love about this? Finally, this is a God you can worship. Because you see, if God obeys you, why would you worship anybody who obeyed you and did what you want? You'd only worship somebody who's greater than you. You'd only worship, and want to worship, I would think, somebody utterly unique. Let me present to you the Lord Almighty. Praise Him. So we see an unexpected release in seeing God and how big He is. We see an unexpected release by seeing His uniqueness. But let me bring it all home. We haven't even scratched the surface because you see, this is where it really gets amazing because as the God greater than space and time, he enters space and time. Because that last verse, near, whose favorite, you know, there's a, somebody used that preposition constantly. 
and they loved it. Who's, do you know who's that favorite preposition near was? Jesus. And I think, I think it's the funniest thing Jesus does. I actually think it's, I'm serious, I think it's a guffaw funny. Will, come here. Will, you're going to beat Jesus, all right? You sit down and get Jesus. And I want you to say in a clear, loud voice, um, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, Jesus would have said stuff like this, and we know he did, when there were a bunch of people around him, sometimes he was at dinner. Say it again. The kingdom of heaven is near. And we know for a fact that this is exactly what the Pharisees did. What's he talking about? This picture this. Who is Jesus supposed to be? Transcendent. His name is wonderful. <laughs> All right, so everybody's sitting around going, what's he talking about the kingdom for? What's he talking about? Is he, does he think it's coming? Is it around the corner? Maybe he's got people out back. Maybe it's next door. Do you get the joke? Because who am I bumping elbows with right here? Him. Him who Thank you. You make a fine Jesus. The pure comedy of it. Do you get that? The pure, wonderful comedy of it. Where is this kingdom you speak of? And he who uttered Orion's belt by the sound of his voice. Do you realize that Jesus, by the sound of his voice, called Andromeda, the galaxy, into being? And he's sitting there with a bunch of knuckleheads who don't even know who he is. And don't even get it. Who is the God who is near? Who is the God? Did you notice that long one line? It says horn. Um, no, is he near? He's near how? All right. That's a horn, right? I mean, you guys are going to get this in a second. You'll see exactly where I'm going with this. We use the symbol today, too. What is, what, what is this? It's a chevron. Who wears this on their shoulder? Military does. You know why? Because they're horns. They're supposed to be horns or mountains. Symbols of strength. The picture of a horn being a military power is as is, is ancient as you could be. It's thousands and thousands of years old. Why? Because what would a, how would a goat or a ram or a horn, right? The, the bull would kill you with his horn. And so that represented like military might of nations. So when it says horn right there, and how near you is he's present with his power. He's present and available with his power. And who is present and available with his power and says the kingdom is near? Well, who is this poem about? Who loves the name I am? Who is the one who makes us saints? You see, he calls them saints, all of them the saints. Who is the one who makes us holy? And this is where worship starts to really make sense to me. This, as big as he is, he becomes present and he sweats and he smells my body odor and other people's body odor. And he's not, and he's not put off. And, he's, and look, he walked around adulterers and pedophiles and thieves and drunks and self-righteous creeps. Apparently, it didn't bother him because he, would, he could be that present and available, even now. You know, this song, in its exuberance, <laughs> in its release and worship, he was just beginning to guess. <laughs> he was barely able to see. He was able to know that God intended to be near. He knew it was the whole moment.
momentum of the entire Bible is this idea of God wanting to get close to his people, living with them, being with them, sitting. And then, uh, in the end, this poem wants Jesus. And I'm here to tell you about Jesus and the wonders of a transcendent God, the unique and one and only Son who gave his life for sinners. Is God's near to you now? Praise him. And some of you need to put your faith in him and stop running because you're called to praise him too. You see, non-Christian and Christian, there's one day, if you deny God today, there will be a day when you will worship God. Everybody will. You can't help it. It is the way the universe is made. Imagine God is a massive, the most massive black hole in the world, in the universe, and it means everything goes to him, right? And that's the way worship is. God will be worshiped. It's no, there's no choice, no choice about it. It is the gravitational nature of who he is. And you will either worship him in, your, in the judgment of God, or you will worship him in his mercy and forgiveness in Jesus. Praise him. Praise him today. Praise the I am. Let's pray. Father. Oh, Father, I, I, I always feel like I, I fail when, I, when I'm preaching. Because I don't know how to, I, I can't create worship in, in these people or myself even. But I know that you can. I think about you with Manoa and his wife and their stumbling, faltering understanding. And uh, would you be tender with us? There's so little we understand. We are so cowed and so afraid at times. We'd love to get released like this poet. (laughs) Some of us. But Father, would you release us into praise? The way you're releasing Peter. Would you release us all? bring your praise to San Francisco. That would be so sweet, Father. So, teach us to worship. Teach us to praise you in your holy name. For it's in Christ we come. what they all actually, how they, why they all bow down. It's when the monkey priest um, <laughs> lifts up the sun. Remember that? He lifts up the sun. Is that Simba? Is that his name? It's, uh, it's been a long time. Uh, he lifts up the sun, doesn't he? And when he lifts up the sun, that's when everybody worships. Don't? Can you see that here? Can you see it? That's what I'm here to do to lift up the sun so we can worship. That was supposed to be a part of the sermon and I forgot it. <laughs> so I'm not going to waste that one. And i got to use it while it's hot. Right here. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my bloodshed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Okay, yeah, put them up there. Thanks. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let me invite you with joy 
Let me invite you again with joy. This is our table of praise. This is a table that's too wonderful for me. <laughs> this is too wonder, wonderful for me to, to know how to even describe it to you. Praise him. Praise him. If you know him, praise him. We invite to this table every sinner who believes in Jesus. And would you look at that, if you look at the Apostles' Creed that's on there, we ask you to consent to those as your belief and Jesus to be your Savior and your faith in him. But let me reiterate, Jesus came to save sinners. Praise him. Oh, but I have a, story, a sad story to tell some people, and I, and I hope you'll, you'll, you'll hear it. I have to bar the way. Some people are not permitted to come to this table. And do you know who's not permitted? The people who think they're good. The people who think they're good believe a fantasy. They haven't come to the transcendent God. They have not come. They have not seen his uniqueness and his presence. I love you if you think you're good. I love you still. But this isn't your table. And so this table is for sinners whose faith is in Christ. Finally, some of you I know are, are, are skeptics. You watch and you listen and you're not sure. You're not convinced. Okay. Uh, good enough. I hope that as you watch and as you witness our knowledge of God, that it'll be what you want. And you'll, you'll begin to imagine it's possible. That a transcendent God can be known. <laughs> All right? So what we're going to do right now, um, we're going to do a bunch of things. We're going to do something a little bit different. So this is an offering for the poor. This is an ancient tradition in the church. So on the first Sunday of the month during communion, there will be an offering taken for the poor, specifically for those in need. That's what this represents. Now, if you weren't prepared for today, that's fine. I'll catch you again next month. We'll be, we'll be announcing it in the week that it's coming to make sure you know about it. But we want to start doing this and start doing it faithfully. So as we're, as we're doing the Apostles' Creed and the worship team comes up here, um, we'll be taking this offering. Brandon, will you make sure that gets done? Thank you. And then, um, after we are done with the Apostles' Creed, will you come forward and get one of our gluten-free crackers and either grape juice or wine for those who prefer it? Okay, and take it back to our seats and we'll take it together after we're done singing. After we're done singing. All right, let's stand um, you get this out of the way. Thanks. Uh, tell me, Christian, uh, brother and sister, what do you believe? Because I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended into hell. But on the third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.